with my baby Late in the afternoon When a rhythm take a hold of me Right way in my tooth It was a rocking little record My baby called Little Boogaloo Over town, you hear him playing on the car radio with the top rolled down. Yeah, and I sing it all the way back home. When a working day is done, this weekend me and my baby going out and have some fun. We gon' go to lose. Oh, Hello, and welcome to another episode of Low Profile with Markley. I'm here with my engineer, Miles, and we have a special guest today. Um, I'm going to introduce him here. C.W. Stone King is a musical storyteller from Australia who's been recording under his own name for over 20 years. And his music is a vibrant buffet of country, blues, hokum, rock and roll, calypso, and jazz that harkens back to the early 20th century. For me, his singing evokes imagery of carnival barkers and medicine men, and his songs are full of whimsy and adventure. In the United States, he's collaborated with Jack White of the White Stripes and Josh Homme of the Queens of the Stone Age, and he's currently on tour in the United States, sitting here with Engineer Miles and me at Alma Mater in Tacoma, Washington. C.W. Stone King, thanks for joining us today on Low Profile. Yeah, you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. <laughs> so, is this your first time in the Pacific Northwest? No, I've been here before. Uh, I've been to Tacoma, but I don't remember if I played here. I ate at a diner here. Uh, I've been to Seattle a couple of times. I can't remember if I played there a couple of times or if I was just there a couple. I know I played at least once. And I've uh, been around Portland and that a couple of times at Pickathon Festival. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's that a great sense. festival. I played there a long time ago, uh, maybe 2009, and then I played like 2016. It had changed a lot. I wonder sure. if I was there for that. I might have been there. I was living in Portland at the time, so uh-huh. I can't remember if it was that year or not. But, uh, yeah, it's a great festival. No waste, you know, you use all, like, plastic, or uh, no right. plastic cups. Oh, you know? yes, I remember something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's on a nice farm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, you're, you've got three albums out that um, I can find, uh-huh. and I've listened to them all extensively. Um, King Holcomb, and then... Jungle Blues. Jungle Blues. We're listening and to that Gombugaloo. Yeah. uh-huh. And uh, Gombugaloo is the one where he sort of went electric. Uh-huh. Um, and... I really enjoyed the sound of it. Um, I, I own the LP, so uh-huh. I know that you recorded the whole album on one microphone. Uh-huh. Um, how did you uh, come to that decision? It was real rushed. It was just over the course of a morning, we were setting mics up and, and trying different things. And uh, it just came from a series of elimination with Mike and my guitar amp. Uh, I guess I wasn't used to hearing my guitar amp from a close mic perspective. So I was listening to it, saying, well, it sounds good here, but when I listened to this thing on the tape, it didn't sound any good. So uh, 
I kept pulling the mic further and further away, and then it was like pretty fast. So I was singing already in an old ribbon mic that picks up a lot of the room. Right. So I said, just switch off the mic amp for a second, and I want to hear how much spill is getting into the uh, vocal mic. And so he switched it off, and it was plenty. It was just a reasonable uh, level. So uh, then I was like, let's just let it spill into my vocals then. It ain't too loud, it's just good. And then uh, my bass player on that particular tune was playing the uh, double bass. And I was like, why don't you stand on the other side of this thing? Because there's like... Because the, there's two sides. Yeah, they got like it. a figure eight sort of pattern. Right. And uh, so then he came up and did that. And I was like, well, damn, let's just... Uh, bring the drum set over a bit and put it there and uh so then we got that there and the dude was like well because originally we're going to use one of the machines he had and i got there that day and he said the machine was busted and he had put us into another thing which the first time i met him is a little bit disparaging of the machine you know what i mean mm-hmm. sure so when i got there he was like are oh, we using that i, was like, oh, I don't know why well, then after we had, like, eliminated these things, he was like, we can try this other one here, which was a, uh, a two-track machine. And, uh, and so then he plugged into that, and then that sounded better, just that machine sound better. So then I was like, all right, then let's just do the whole record like that. And uh, at that point, we were recording a song with no vocals, background vocals on it. It was, uh, I think we did a couple ballads or something. So it's just the three piece, and then the girls rolled in to do backing vocals and things. And so we were like, oh yeah, we're doing it this way. So uh, I think we moved the stuff across the room. So put the mic in the middle of the room so everyone could fit around it. And yeah. Then, uh, we just kept on going. And then adjusting like levels by like moving people and. Yeah, and it was real rush. You know what I mean? Probably if you would have had like four days or something, maybe, probably would have been better. It's very much like we had to get all the tunes done. I only had them for uh, for two days. That's including all the time we spent that first day fooling around. Right. Wow. Uh, so. Uh, and no headphones or anything, you know. Right. Partially, you know, the dude just didn't have much stuff. Right. He didn't have boxes for us to have headphones. So uh, there's sort of little trade-offs everywhere, you know. Sure. And like little leaps of faith, you know. like Yeah, like you could only good. put the amp up so loud because we had to be able to hear ourselves singing without a thing. Drummer could only play so loud. And the bass was acoustic. Sometimes it was acoustic or sometimes electric. We had to set all that. And, uh, yeah, it was an interesting sort of thing to do. Would you do it again? I probably would do it again, but like I say, if you had a bit more time, I feel like, uh, you know, you could be a lot more effective with it. It was real rudimentary and just like, we just kind of, you know, I just, I just did it. I think that's what drew me into your music initially was just that it was so raw, but it had like so much heart. Uh-huh. And um, I really liked being able to just sort of pick out, like sort of imagining people standing around a microphone. It uh-huh. really like, you know, 
Yeah. It evokes like those old studio photographs from a hundred years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, now about your music, like I, as I mentioned before, you know, there's a lot of whimsy and adventure and um, this is kind of a cliche question, but where where does that come from? Are you, have you, for, for instance, you sing a lot about the jungle. Have you ever spent time in the jungle? It's mostly uh, just like about the sound of the music more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I guess when I was starting to bring the horns in, I wanted to have them for a long time, but I never couldn't afford a band or whatever. So I played solo for years and years and years when I was young. And then uh, after I did my first record, I put a little bit of band on there. Uh, and then I was able to, uh, after that came out, I was able to tour a bit and afford a band. And so then when I made that uh, Jungle Blues record, I uh, had been touring, I guess, a year or two with 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 a brass band. I kind of understood how it worked and and what to do with it. So uh, I was just looking for something to unite all the music, really. And uh, that was one of the sort of threads going through my mind. You know, it's a I guess there's a period in time. Uh, you know, Duke Ellington, people like that. A lot of his like uh, records were made under pseudonyms, and often it was a jungle something, this and that, or the, he used that sort of thing a lot. Um, you know, sort of some of his music with the riffs and the minor keys and stuff like that. I'm sure it don't sound like that out in the jungle, but to anybody's imagination. It's like a cartoon From the Western version world, of the jungle. Yeah, yeah, they know what you're talking about. And so uh, that was one aspect of it, I guess. And then I was interested in clips and music and all different things. Uh, you know, I figured like the, the aspects of the New Orleans scene could tip back and forth between Caribbean and, uh, and American, and, uh, and which in turn that sort of goes to Africa in another way. And uh, it was just, I was trying to find some sort of unifying pot to put all the shit together in. Uh, so. I feel like you've done a really good job of intertwining a lot of styles that are, you know, I mean, probably of great appeal to like a record nerd who collects a lot of old 78s or something. Uh-huh. They're probably going to dig anything you put out. Yeah, that was something and, that caught my ear today was hearing you cover uh, Wilma Houdini, who's a favorite uh, yeah. of mine. His name will always be, always be recorded in history. His name would always be, always be recorded in history. It gives me inspiration to sing. His heroic stand in the Philippines. No man can be braver than General MacArthur, the son of America. And it's like, you know, we listen to the songs back to back and it's, uh, you know, they're they're not the same, but like uh, it's, you've, you've got the, the style down pat, you know, uh, with the horns and uh, yeah, just, it sounds great. Now, I want to ask you about, um, so the enigma I have, the, the idea I have of 
your background uh, is maybe a little fantastical, but I, from what I gather, your parents were American expats and they moved into just the, into the outback of Australia in a really rural area. And you grew up having little contact with the greater outside world and uh, your best friends were your, your dad's record collection. And uh, that sort of molded your musical self into who you've become. And is, is there any truth to that? I, I, you could say that's partially true in a way, I guess. Uh, I didn't really get into listening to music till I was probably, I don't know, I was probably around the time I started playing guitar. It coincided or closely, you know what I mean, around the age of 11 or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I heard music a lot, but I wasn't really thinking about but more than anybody else, maybe. I did used to listen to a lot of records. Uh, yeah, something like that, I suppose. What was one of the first records you heard where you're like, I want to play something like this, you know? Uh, when I was thinking about playing something well, look, probably like when I started to play guitar. Uh, if I was thinking about playing something, I remember like I want to play like Chuck Berry sort of stuff. Sure, yeah. I guess at the start. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just trying to learn stuff, you know. Right. I was pretty slow learner, really. Uh, I know a lot of people that I know who started playing later than me seemed to learn real quick. I was like, dang, he got good fast, you know. Right. I was a very slow learner. But, uh, uh, yeah, I just kept on doing it. Right. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up? Uh, well, all right then. Uh, well, I was born out in a place called Catherine, uh, in the Northern Territory. So I was only there as a baby. Then, uh, my parents moved to a, uh, to a little town, uh, in like the western district of Victoria, which is down south, it was like so sort of sheep farming country, I guess. And they uh, were uh, living down there for a while, and then they split up, and then I lived with my dad after that. Uh, we moved back out to Northern Territory again, into Central Australia, which is like uh, the desert out mm. there. Uh, and uh, that's where I started going to school and stuff. And it was pretty kind of wild out there, you know what I mean? There wasn't a, there was like one store. Uh, and it was just desert, you know what I mean? Mostly Aboriginal people. And uh, the white people there was like school teachers or police or the dude who had the store or the doctor or somebody. Right. And, um, and uh, so I used to spend a lot of time just like hanging out, you know, catch lizards and stuff like this, or make a little fire somewhere. Or... I know about that. I lived in the a very low population desert town for a while when okay. I was growing up too. Yeah, so I think it was 500 people lived there when we moved there. Okay, <laughs> go on yeah. long walks and things like that. Oh yeah, dig holes. Yeah, all that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Lizards for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
And, uh, so then uh, after that, we moved to Sydney, uh, which is like one of the main cities, I guess, in Australia. Lived pretty close in uh, there. And uh, I guess when that's when I started to play the guitar. And uh, there was a lot of music around there, I guess, later in my teenage years. Uh, at that time, you know, it was like, had been like a real working class. Uh, in a west suburb of, of of Sydney. Well, Sydney is like, a, there's a lot of water there. There's a harbour and things like this. And so around there had been like, a, you know, they had like coal mines and docks and shit like this. So the houses was all like little uh, terrace houses and lots mm-hmm. of pubs because it was built for like... Working class folks. Dudes working, yeah. 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 And so at that time, like most of those pubs, they had like bands in them, at least on the weekend or sometimes more and uh, lots of underage drinking going down sure. and watching bands and uh, and playing in bands. And at that time, too, you would have a party in the house and have a band in the lounge room with twin reverbs, any sort of loud shit, just playing, right. you know what I mean? Uh, and so uh, that sort of was the environment when I was starting to play music. Was that like a shock to your system, you know, coming from like a fairly isolated place to like somewhere with a lot more uh, things happening, I guess? It was just, it was kind of gradual. I guess it took me a couple of years to sort of fit in a bit, you know what I mean? Right. It was mm-hmm. real different. Like city people was different than uh, what I was used to. Right. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so that was the sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah, lots of drinking, lots of playing guitar. That's pretty much. Is that around when you. Been s- my life up until I quit drinking. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Just lots of playing guitar. How yeah. long has it been for that? <laughs> oh, gee, I don't know. Like a couple of days into 2009, I reckon. Oh, oh okay. wow. Something like that. That's great. Oh, well, good. And so. Uh, I saw online that you came out with a self-titled record in 98 uh-huh. and you put out some other things. Were those just kind of like like a more of a homemade Yeah, that was just or? like uh, sometimes someone would see me at a show or something. In that instance, like it was a dude who had a uh, studio and he was like, come around and record these tunes or just record something. And then, so I went there and recorded. I didn't really have any say in, like, the production or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm. But uh, so he would just record. And then he had a friend who had, like, a little label that would put out things here and there. And they sort of did it at the time. It was... I didn't really like that record. It doesn't sound very good, but... Uh, You're probably not going to re-release that one. No, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't sound good then either, you know? Sometimes mm. it sounds good and sometimes it doesn't. Uh... But anyway, and then uh, there's a couple of things that I used to put around. I used to busk a lot. At that time, this is where I was in Melbourne, and uh, there wasn't really much interest in the stuff I was into, Uh, uh, you know, as a sort of young dude, about 23 or something, I guess. I kind of thought maybe I'd get like some shows and that through like maybe the blues scene or whatever type uh-huh. of thing. And so uh, when I moved to Melbourne, I'd been out the country a couple of years and uh, 
and I went to some shows and tried like talking to people and stuff and uh, there really wasn't any interest at that time in what I was doing. There was a couple dudes in Australia playing like, I guess that sort of old time blues. Sure. Nothing really that I liked very much, but apparently it filled the hole adequately where they didn't want any more. Ah. Uh, so I spent a long time busking. That was the main thing I really did uh, for years. And just through being out on the street really is probably how I met most of the musicians I know over there. And uh, and then people, bookers from different venues around town would see me and get me in. And uh, from that point on, I never really went back into any sort of blues thing whatsoever. They just kind of... Right. I didn't go that route. I just went to the, what I call normal yeah. stuff. Mm. Regular rock and roll, rock and roll, roll punk, uh-huh. yeah. all that. Uh, good. Yeah, busking is a good way to also kind of hone your craft too. Yeah. And uh-huh. and there's a lot of freedom to it. It's it's real good. Yeah, that's what I pretty much did for yeah long time. And when's when's the last time you busked? Uh, boy, I ain't been for a while. The last time I would have did it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't even be able to think of what the year was. It's probably there was some markets. I used to go sometimes, but I couldn't say off the top of my head what year that would have been. I stopped busking when I had kids. Right. That's about, I feel like that's a, a thing you don't do after you have kids, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember if I, I, I might have still, because I was doing some pretty bad gigs when I had my first kids still. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're a family man, yeah. Well, I have four kids, yes. Mm. Um, I'm not together with my wife anymore, and they live in Melbourne, but, uh, yeah, I got four kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Kind of had this small world situation last night when I was doing some reading. Um, a friend of mine is an animator, uh-huh. Pat McHale. Okay. And I... Had I've owned his uh, Over the Garden Wall and the um, the feature you were in was called uh, Tome of the Unknown. Uh-huh. He wrote a part for you in an animated short film where you played a character named John Crops. Uh-huh. Look what I found! A bunch of vegetables shaped like a car. We're one step closer to finding a goose. Ah, uh, what? You can crank it and you can eat it. How in the... Greg, this is amazing. It works? Huh? Yeah. This is amazing. If you like that, you should see the man. What man? The vegetable man. Can't you see I'm lonely, lonely as can be? Huh? For I want you only, there's no one else for me know it. Sometimes, dear, I wonder why you keep away, leaving me so lonely, lonely night and day. <sighs> oh, that's enough.
That's enough now. Now, what are you folks doing out here in the middle of nowhere listening to poor old John Croft singing his sad songs to himself? Actually, we, we were just about to take off in this nice vegetable car. You mean my vegetable car? I... Can we have it? Now, hold on. I myself always had a mind to drive this clunker to the big city and leave this lonely old country life behind. Maybe find a gal who liked my company. But that ain't in the cards for me, I suppose. Well, uh, we could bring you to the city, and, and if you decide to stay there, then we can keep the car? Well... Guess I could give it a go. Do they have geese in the big city? I never heard there ain't geese in the big city. To the city! And, uh, you know, it was funny. I discovered your music and became aware of you after having seen that. And then just, I kind of went back and watched it with my daughters today. Oh. And uh, it kind of came full circle. And I was just wondering how that uh, even came to be. Uh... I just got like an email, I think, and I, I can't remember. At the start, he asked me all this stuff. Would I like to make a theme song and and uh, and a whole bunch of stuff? And at first, I said yeah. And then I started trying to make up a song. I couldn't really do it, so uh, I didn't make a theme song. And he had a couple of characters he wanted me to do a voice for. Well, we ended up doing that John Crops thing. I was in England, and uh, and they had me go to a recording studio and talk on the phone with, I guess, it, I think Pat was there and the director or somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, they mailed me the script, so we just went through line at a time. director said, all right, this character you're talking to is this sort of person. So he started saying, eh, and so then I would say it, and then he'd say, that's good, I'll do it again. We just kind of did it like that. I guess the dude was recording me as we were talking. Yeah. And then I uh, sang a couple of songs that they had asked for. Uh, and then I didn't see the thing. I reckon for pretty long. I did hear back from, I think, I don't even know if I ever got paid for the thing. And they kept on chasing me. Did I want to get paid? And I, I uh -oh. can't Here remember. I, I don't, <laughs> I feel like I never answered the the person in charge of the money. But uh, anyway, uh, then they did ask me another time. They're like, well, the John Crops ain't going to be in the uh, series, but. Yeah, it was sort of the pilot. We wondered could maybe like you and your wife could be these people called man and woman in a bar or something. And at that time, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not really into like the acting thing or sure, it wasn't really my thing. So I said no. And then uh, I guess maybe like it wasn't until the DVD came out or something. It felt like something like that must have happened. I was on the net one day and. I think all this stuff started coming on Twitter about it or, or somewhere. And then I think that's when I tracked it down on YouTube. It was the first time I saw it, but it was, oh, wow. it was, it was yeah. a few years afterward, I think. Well, I think you do a real good job playing a man made out of vegetables. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, uh, 
And then I had Pat do a music video for me a right. few years ago. Zombie. Uh-huh. He told yeah. me about that, yeah. and I, which of course I had seen the video. And it's if if uh, our listeners have not seen C.W. Stone King's video for the Zombie, uh, it's it's terrific. Are you ready? Yeah. I got a brand new dance here for you. This one is called. But when you hear that zombie rocking slow till the break of dawn in the Congo, ain't gonna let you rest till the morning light. Gonna rest some sand in the dead of night. My mama hear them mumbling low. Um, so what's what's next for C.W. Stone King? Uh, well, I'm on tour till uh, the tour keeps getting extended. It was going to be till the middle of April, but it's looking a bit more than that now. But uh, I'm, uh, I got to gotta finish some music. I got all these bits of music, but not finished. I need to get serious. I got a dude who's uh, making me a 12-string guitar. Uh, so he told me he was going to make me one for nothing. And uh, so then I bought one to get used to it. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because uh, uh, I'm on the road now, so I, I didn't bring it. But uh, I uh, I got one and I and I set it up how I like it and uh, and got into playing. And that was I'm real excited about it. So this dude is in Australia. He's uh, I'm headed there for a month after this tour I'm on right now finishes. So I'm hoping that I'm going to get it then. It's like an old uh, 20s-style 12-string. Uh, uh, they got like a long scale on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one I've been fooling with, I tune it down to like a, a low B or a low A or oh, something. Wow. It's very low. It's like another instrument, really. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it feels really good to sing over. So, yeah, I... Just in fun with that, I started to make up some songs. I'm kind of anxious to uh, spend some more quiet downtime with that, and, uh, and, and that'll probably be on the next record. Some stuff with the 12 string guitar, as well as some other stuff I've been working on in these long years that have been going by. Right. Do you have a home recording setup, or do you like to go no. into the studio? Uh, my preferred thing to do is uh, what I always had was like just a double tape deck thing with the speakers, you know. The microphone built in. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never found anything that's better than that. But you know, the last couple I had, which has been a while now because I've been out on the road, I guess the technology is just so sort of tipped over into old enough that the shit always breaks. Right, I've noticed that too. So it's just like. I've been doing stuff on iPhone. It's just, it's, it's very unproductive for me. It was, it was a real big part of like my songwriting process. It was that simple piece of machinery. Right. Uh, you could have the volume loud enough where you can interact with what you just done. You can drop in bits if you hear a melody line. You go, oh, it's sugar on there. You can just drop it, change it. Right. It's all really good for like constructing your thoughts and stuff. So the iPhone is just terrible. Your yeah. phone goes to sleep. You gotta put your yeah fucking password in 
four times a minute. Disrupts the whole process. It plays too quiet, so you just zone out and you just not actually making something. You're just noodling data. It's just a terrible piece of technology. And uh, I got like three telephones full of all this unlabeled fucking recording number 1722 or something. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah, I was bad enough before, but I'm worse now. Yeah. My brain is not good at organizing. I needed some concrete, uh, that's the nice thing about taste structure or... to build within other than my brain. You know, I, yeah. need, I need an external hard drive yeah. for my ideas. <laughs> I'd like to drop in uh, recording 1722 right here. <laughs> um, so, for you, is it uh, generally the melody first or the story, the, the lyrics? Uh, it's usually like the music, because that's mostly where I start is I'm just playing on the guitar. Sometimes I'll be like, make up some funny little tune if I'm driving in the car or walking or something, and I'll be walking around singing that, and then sometimes that will turn into like a melody or it'll be something else, or a sub-melody, a horn line or something, I'll think of something that goes on top of it, or uh, sometimes it's just chords or... It's a mixture of things. Rarely do I have the words uh, first. And in the few instances where I've actually wrote out a big slab of words, I don't think ever it happened before I had some tune. I think I always had some little bit of tune that suggested a mood or a topic or something. Sure. Is that how Zombie came about, was just the mood? Uh, I was just fooling around, and uh, I was just sort of doing... Uh, vocal effect of somebody shouting and like uh, just that intention. That's terrific. And I, uh, really and, and I said the zombie or something. And then uh, I did the scream and then I was just like mumbling not real words but this is what I do sometimes just syllables and intention and, and things like that and like a vocal sort of texture and things that I feel with the music. That tune was interesting because I probably still got the tape somewhere, a little piece of it somewhere in there. Uh, I was, you know, it's just a two chord song. I'm just going back and forth. It's a one five thing, and uh, anyway, all the bits to it is contained in like maybe a little forty second thing of me just mumbling nonsense. And so then that song, it took me a long time to write it. And in the course of writing that, I've, I made all the verses and, and different bits. And uh, it got very, it was real boring, the song. And I was like, I don't know what's with this song I've been working on. Like the lyrics are cool, but it just kind of sucks. And then it was getting close to recording the song. We were rehearsing to record. And I was like, there's other bits to this thing. And so I tracked down the recording and there's these other little melody bits. And I was like, ah. And so then I quickly wrote like some of the other bits in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was just in the evening over the course of maybe an hour or something. And it completely transformed the song. But it was all these essential 
pieces what that was, came from that first initial uh-huh. spark. It was just there, yeah, uh huh. And I got caught up in like the the long verse bit and that, but uh, it's all these other bits, you know, the uh, and the the scream and all the the back and forth with the girls and everything. Right. Well, the really cool thing about that is that. Um, the market for Halloween songs is very undersaturated. There's not a lot of good, uh-huh. good fun songs for Halloween. I always try and push it out of being on Halloween, that tune. Yeah, mm-hmm. so do I ever since I heard it. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to ask you about another song, um, the Talking Lion Blues. Uh-huh. It's a funny song, and it's it's also like you know reminiscent of like a, a kid's storybook in uh-huh. a way. Like, uh, and uh, I don't know, and, and it's definitely got the Jimmy Rogers feel to it, uh-huh. which I hear in um, a, a good deal of your music actually. Um, and I feel like he had a similar quality of like bringing together like country and jazz yeah. and blues all yeah. together. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that song in particular? Well, that tune, I stole the melody for that song of some old field recording of a little kid singing the song. Uh, I don't remember what the song was, but it was like a small kid singing this song that was like punctuated with the yodels like that. And so I would just walk around mumbling this thing. And I was like, it's just a good tune, you know. So I woke up one morning and I uh, I thought I should try and do something with this tune just because it's like cool. So I was, uh, I sat down and started singing. And I, uh, and I feel like I just sat down. I sang like seven verses, just free off the top of my head. I sang like a whole song, which for me is like unheard of. Just ad-libbing a story. Yeah, just it takes me a long time to write lyrics usually. And then I was like, holy shit! And then I was like, quickly in a hurry, I gotta write this down. What I just said, you know, right. a whole song, sorta. And then uh, it came together pretty quick that tune. I can't remember. I remember there was some little. Uh, I don't know. It's a funny little tune that it has. It like, is. It has some subtle little shifts in it, where it sort of keeps your attention. 
And I can't remember if I thought about that or if it just happened, but I do remember myself being, oh, that's a nice little twist. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 there's a couple bits in the story the, where it freshly grabs your attention, uh, which is good. It goes back and forth a little bit, the power. Yeah, there's between a... Between the... Uh, definitely, you, you go from your... I'm imagining you as the... Uh, person singing the song you uh-huh. know i guess it could be any character but yeah, yeah the protagonist is starts out as the prey and then uh-huh. yeah yes yeah, so tables turn uh-huh he's gonna uh, he's like, a bit of an exploiter really yeah from there's the some get-go, money here <laughs> but he is gonna he, he's a prey for a second then back to being an exploiter and then uh yeah yeah that's well that's a clever tune and i i really appreciate it yeah, I liked it. I like doing it live. That song. I don't like the record version much. It was it was pretty new when I recorded it, but uh, I do like to perform it. Hello, this is Jeremy at the San Francisco Street Bakery. Here to let you all know that we are still open for all your bread, bagel, Danish croissant, and coffee needs. We offer a variety of dining options, from takeaway to carry-out, and even to-go. So give us a call to place an order, or stop by at 1320 San Francisco Avenue in Northeast Olympia and grab some gluten to take home. The San Francisco Street Bakery, where things taste good. Uh, are, you, are you doing any new songs on your tour? Oh, no. Okay. I'm only playing stuff off my records, and... Yeah, I've only really been playing stuff, not even any cover tunes, really. They did get me to do an encore last night, and I put in a... I did Brave Son of America. Yeah. But I don't usually put that in. Uh, It's just a lot of my songs. I guess I probably play more of my old stuff in this format than I would ordinarily when I got a band. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, do you prefer playing solo with a band or do you have uh, no preferences, I guess? I kind of like both, but uh, I like both, but you know, sound check is way shorter by myself. Right. I noticed. There's some yeah. things that are kind of easy about it. Uh, it sort of depends. Depends on who's in the band. Sure. You know, some mm-hmm. bands are great to get around with. Sometimes it's more difficult. Uh, yeah, so you, on Jungle Blues, your band was the Primitive Horn Orchestra, correct? Is uh-huh. That, and uh, is, that a, is that a solid unit or is it a shifting, it's kind of shifting. rotating door? Yeah, so when I made that record, I like pulled that band together like a week and a half before the, um, we recorded. Uh, like the drummer, I only actually met him like the day before we went in to record and he came in and played and it was nothing like anything that would be on my record. Sure. And uh, so the only person I really uh, rehearsed with much on that record, we rehearsed together for about two weeks, was the bass player. Uh, I had two small rehearsals with the horns uh, and then I, and then a small one with the drummer too. Except after I met the drummer, I was like, oh, I know how to talk to this guy. 
I, I felt like be, the bass player was very worried because he's a real unconventional drummer. Sure. Uh, and he came here, we had worked all this shit out, and then he was just like going on top of it. And uh, he was a little stressed bass player, like, oh, you know, he was trying to sound like that. Was that uh, a different drummer than who's on Gone Boogaloo? Yeah, different. Uh-huh. Okay, we were, I, I've listened to Gone Boogaloo countless times. Uh-huh. But today uh, was, I think, the first time I heard it in a car stereo on the way here. All right. And I noticed in uh, the song Jungle Swing, that beat that the drummer is playing is totally crazy. Uh-huh. It's like... The dude who played drums on, uh, I'll tell you how I found that guy. Uh, there's a song on Jungle Blues called The Love Me and Die. It's a Calypso song that I wrote. that song that was one that was real I had written the whole song but I'd never really sang it mm-hmm. all the way through uh, just because I wasn't really what I play in the bands is ting, ting, ting. it wasn't very fun to play by myself and like I said I only had a couple of rehearsals with the band so anyway we recorded it the way that record was recorded was bass drums and me all live and then the horns and things were overdubbed in the same room after. Anyway, so we built that tune up and there was all sorts of stuff. And I feel like the drums, half of it was on cardboard boxes even. He had a kit, but I think he was hitting a box there and different things. And we stacked it up, brought in a, a violin player on there, clarinet, uh, saxophone, everybody. And it was sounded good, it was big and chunky. I was like, damn, this song is kind of... Kind of plotting, you know. It needed some, something. To, something. Yeah. I was like, it needs like a core of energy. I said there should be like this molten core of energy that's flying past your head, and it's something that your ear can't recognize and 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 and, and put into a pattern. I don't want like a person's ear to be able to pin down the pattern ever in the song. I just want energy. And so uh, I'm like, I need percussion that's just fucking. And so uh, I kept asking people, who's a percussionist around here? And who's in? And I think I got like three different guys in. They were coming and they're playing this thing. I'm like, that's not the thing. I didn't know how to describe it other than what I just said to you. Yeah. I'm like, you're playing along with it. It's a beat. I'm like, I can hear it. It just, well, not it. It's just more of the same shit, more patterns, patterns, patterns. And so uh, then someone was like, I get this old Sri Lankan dude 
Oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. His son did some percussion on John Boogaloo. Pereira, his name's Ray Pereira. He's an old Sri Lankan dude, and he's like, I guess, around Melbourne at least, or maybe in Australia, he's like, he was a dude who travelled through Africa and all these different places back before maybe a lot of people were doing it, learning mm-hmm. off, off traditional percussionists and that. Well, he couldn't do it, but he had a student. He was like, get this dude, Jacob. So the dude rolls in. This was at a different studio, like a couple months later. I'm still like, this tune ain't. So I tracked him down. Dude was such a nerd. I was like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you know, like some nerds are like so nerdy, but kind of arrogant. It's sure, like, yeah. Whoa. Strange, you know? Anyway, rolled in with his shit. So I'm like, I want this thing, you know? Everyone's playing along with the music. It's just like a dude jamming on bongos. I'm like, I want, I don't want the ear to pin down. So he listened to the thing. He's like, yeah, I could do like a, um, there's like a Haitian sort of rhythm thing. Everything in it is on off beats, and it's like I'll play it double time against the thing. I'm like, all right, then. Uh, so then we rolled the thing, and he, he's doing one. It's like, doop, doop. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty fucking weird. Yeah. And then he does another thing, and that was also weird. And then he did four. The last one was a bell pattern. And then it was just exactly what I want. The cool thing And is you could turn it up as loud as you want and your ear could not grab it. Yeah, I'm like, that's it. And that was like the yeast in the loaf. It just had songs. The whole track. It just happened. And uh, he left the the dude and then the engineer that day, he was a different guy to record the rest. He was just like, dang. I was like, that's it. So uh, he played drums on the on Gone Boogaloo. I first got him to do percussion, but then I was like, can you like play drums a bit and like mix it up? And he was like, yeah, yeah. He was one of these guys who will work at it until he gets it. Mm. So uh, he didn't last long in the band. Once we got on tour, it was a bit too much for his like personality to handle. But uh, but it was fun though working with him. I, ever since I guess that time doing that "Love Me or Die" song, I always had a sort of uh, tendency to that sort of rhythm, cross rhythms, and uh, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that sort of wakened me up a little bit to it. So uh, even in that "Gone Boogaloo," aside from him playing, there was aspects of that rhythms of the bass line and various things that was something that I was sort of aware of doing, you know. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's really tricky thing because it's so, yeah, counterintuitive, but the song itself as a whole just has a terrific groove to it. Uh Uh-huh. Undeniable. And it's just a really straightforward, like, kind of blues song otherwise. Right. You know, down in the jungle, it's wild and right. It could just be like something, you know, honking 40 sacks or something. But with that, it's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you got an edge on the market there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, let's see. One thing I like to ask our guests sometimes is, uh, if you eat burgers, how do you like them? Uh, I just had a burger. Uh, 
I don't know. Like, I don't really understand, like, what's the difference between a good burger and a bad burger. Well, I don't know if I had one I didn't like. Mm-hmm. But they usually taste pretty good. You know, uh, in Australia, uh, Burger King is called Hungry Jack's. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's oh, in wow. the same font, but they it's called Hungry Jack's. I don't like their burgers. It's like too much sauce. Mm-hmm. It's wet. And also, like, you know, I tried, like, I guess their version, like a quarter pounder. Disgusting, you know, too much sauce. And they gave me food poison once, too. So Dreadful. Yeah, I don't like yeah. that. Uh, I don't know. I like all sorts of burgers. Uh, someone bought me one at Wendy's. That so was good. Greasy yeah. little thing wrapped up in foil paper or something. And they might... got the square patty there, too. They do. Oh, it's square. Yeah. It's a favorite of Pete Drake, if you know who Pete Drake is. He loved Wendy's, right? That's uh, true. Yeah. We, we learned that on a previous episode. Someone but... told me about uh, Crystal Burgers. They got a little piece of fat that they melt on the thing. It's a secret, apparently. Yeah. But they're meant to be good. I haven't had one of them yet. Yeah, that's down in the south, I think. Yeah. You go around. Your uh, tour manager, Michaela? Uh, McKenzie. McKenzie. she yeah. tell you about that? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you might also try Dick's in Seattle. I was just going to recommend Dick's. Oh, yeah, they good? Yeah, they're, uh, they're the ubiquitous Seattle burger. It's just a walk-up stand. They call they're it just instant making... service, so they're constantly churning out hamburgers, and you huh. get it fresh, but, like, you know, they're just making them... Like as people come All the in, time. that's what McDonald's yeah. used to and be when I was simple. a kid. Yeah, they used to have the the, the slanted. Uh, yeah, the slanted trays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just, just, they're just feeding them down. Now yeah. it's all in fucking secret. You don't know what they're doing. Yep. You got to take a ticket and wait. <laughs> yep. It's like, what am I waiting for? Yeah. Yeah. It costs three times more than it used to, and you got to wait now. Yep. That's the nice more thing. chance of being embarrassed by someone spotting you there. Yep. That's the nice thing about Dick's. It's cheap. You walk in or you walk up, you get the burger, and you get out of there real quick. No special yeah. orders. Yeah, no yeah. substitutions uh-huh. or anything uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Real simple burgers, fries, shakes. Oh, take it out. It's yeah. not bad. It's I not usually bad. just fill up a paper bag full and take them home. Yeah. <laughs> With the burgers? Oh, yeah, yeah. How many can you eat? Uh, I can eat probably three in a sitting. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then three or four. And then I save a couple for later. What are they, like a little cheeseburger or something? It's about yeah. the same size as McDonald's, uh-huh. but uh, a lot tastier, I think. Uh-huh. Just, I, I think you can. it's got more heart to it. Right. Yeah. I think Mickey D's is good to eat in the car. That's what... Ordinarily, that's the only time I eat a burger is if I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Right. And so something that... You can just squish in your hand. It ain't going to fall in your shirt or something. That's yeah. why I, also why I don't like the Burger King thing. It's too oh, wet. Yeah. And you know? wear a lot of white suits, it's too. It's drip, yeah. Yeah. You're wearing a black one tonight. Well, it's blue. Or, or is it blue? Yeah. Oh. I'm between. I'm out of white outfits at the minute because I, uh, I got plans to update the design a little bit. Uh, oh, I've yeah. been on the road too much to get with people who make clothes and that, so... Sure. Wow. Well, you're looking great as usual. Yeah. Um, let's see. And sounding great. Sound check sounded great. I'm excited to. Oh, I've never seen you play live, so uh-huh. excited to see yeah, the show. Yeah, nor have I. Um, would you Would you mind if we include a song from your performance on the episode? Tonight? Oh yeah. How are you gonna do it? Run a thing into the desk. That's what I'm thinking. If yeah. they'll have us. Uh huh. And. Uh, 
maybe do a mixture of board and like uh, you room know. mic. Yeah, yeah, that's probably good. I saw a video recently that was just a desk, and I was like, dang, they should have put a room in. Yeah, I feel like you need the room to like kind of uh-huh. get the whole vibe. You yeah, know? yeah, and if I have honestly, if I have the as you know, just personal taste, if I have a choice between the two, I go with the room mic. You know, uh-huh. um, yeah, there's something about. Is there a particular song you'd like to go out on? Uh, no. For our listeners you, you today? You can choose. We'll pick whichever one. Uh-huh. Well, CW, thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks for very much. Yeah. It's a pleasure and an honor, and uh, we're real excited to see you play in a minute. And, uh, oh, can we point our listeners to any particular, like, online or physical address that uh uh well i guess uh the only thing i really uh do myself is instagram but i got everything facebook and my website cwstoneking.com which always has uh links for tickets to any shows that i've have announced and uh but also my instagram will point to that too on the bio and uh and facebook you know all of those they'll point to that Great. Well, uh, break a leg tonight. Yeah, have a great show. Thank you very much. Yeah, such a pleasure. And I'll come back again tomorrow. Girl, that's the same old thing you told me yesterday. I don't know what to say. Don't know what to do. The way you string along this poor old heart so true. That you love me, then leave me to hanging around your gate. Get away from there, dog. But don't say tomorrow. Tomorrow gon' be too late. Tomorrow, tomorrow gonna be 